Tiki Hut Media. From Manatee Life Church, a multicultural United Methodist community of faith in Bradenton, Florida, this is Soul Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jerry Wicker, lead minister at Manatee Life Church. Today, we wrap up our series on the Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite, and we'll talk about the last few phrases of the Apostles' Creed, and we'll focus on eternal life. Things aren't as bad as we, as we think they are when we look at everything around us. It's easy to get discouraged and be depressed, but things aren't that bad because we have hope and we have a future. We'll talk more about it coming up. On today's sermon, as we wrap up that series, we'll head over to the sanctuary. And we are right in the middle of Lent. Lent is here. And this is the annual 40-day period of reflection leading to the joy and celebration of Easter. During these 40 days and nights, we learned that Jesus was tempted three times, and Jesus denied the three temptations and came out of the wilderness proclaiming that the ultimate battle is won. The reign of God had begun. Forty days and forty nights, Jesus suffered and prayed in the desert. And this is why we have Lent. During those forty days, Jesus was without food and water, being tempted to prove he was the Son of God. And it becomes clear that he and we do not get a get-out-of-suffering card. We'll still have conflict and suffering. Through prayer and the grace of God, we too will get through it. We have now entered the desert of Lent on a spiritual journey of our own. Lent is not some domesticated kind of pious self-improvement, like giving up something that most people think is good to give up, at least for a time. Chocolate, beer, swearing, drop a few pounds, maybe look a little more like what our culture thinks of as good. No, rather, our Lent is a time of fasting, reflection, penitence, searching, and prayer. During our 40 days of Lent, we have the opportunity to prepare ourselves for the celebration of the resurrection of Christ on Easter morning. Jesus was alone, but we're not alone. We have each other, and we also have something else on our journey, the opportunity to encounter God as Jesus did, to wrap ourselves in God's word to us that we are his beloved children, to claim that identity as Jesus did, the only identity that really matters as a child of God. And Lent is not only 40 days of centering and reflection, but also preparation for truly participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's about dying to an old identity defined by our culture, our traditions, our habits, maybe even our families, and being born into a new identity centered in the Spirit of God. It means dying to an old way and being born into a new way of being, being centered in God. It's about dying to our deadness, that daily routine of our lives that we trudge through, oblivious to the needs of others and the call of our Lord. It is a time of reminding ourselves of God's love and God's reality. It is a time to be lifted out of our confinement, removing those feelings of burden and mortality, of fear and doubt. So how should we spend these 40 days of Lent? Well, how about 40 days where we truly open ourselves to God through prayer and meditation and inviting God to live through us as never before? How about 40 days where we examine ourselves, our shortcomings, our judgments, our arrogance, our egos, where we face who we are and strive once again to be all that we can be, confident in the love and acceptance of God? 
How about 40 days in which we remember we are dust, and to dust our bodies will return, but with God's grace our spirits will be transformed, and we can live this life and the life to come more fully, embraced in God's unending love to do His work through us. So just as on Ash Wednesday we came to have ashes and the sign of the cross placed on our foreheads, may we have open hearts, admit our helplessness to save ourselves, and accept the grace and forgiveness that marks us as a child of God with new resolve to be His body on earth. Let's head over to the sanctuary. scripture lesson comes to us from the gospel according to John, starting in the sixth chapter, starting with verse 35. Hear these holy words. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have been seen by me and still don't believe. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and I won't send away anyone who comes to me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I won't lose anything he has given me, but I will raise it up at the last day. This is my Father's will, that all who see the Son and believe in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The Jewish opposition grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They asked, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus responded, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless they are drawn to me by the father who sent me, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I assure you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that whoever eats from it will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, Prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. I would like to take a moment to, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I don't, I don't, I don't put anybody on the spot. I don't embarrass anyone other than Kathy. But I will let you know that my heart is overflowing with joy this morning because I have not one but three people in this sanctuary this morning 
who have, uh, who have come to church this morning. And I can't express the joy in seeing those faces of dear, dear friends. So thank you for being here. Thank all of you for being here. This week, we, some of you may say, praise God, it's over. But this week, we finish our series on the Apostles' Creed, the end. We come to the end of our series on Creed, Apostles' Creed. These are truths that unite. And if you remember, we started January 1, Sunday, New Year's Day. We started again reciting the Apostles' Creed as an affirmation of our faith each and every Sunday morning as part of our corporate worship and as a way to all of us with differing opinions maybe on some things. But these are things, we might disagree on this or that, but these are things we can agree on, we all can agree on. These are truths that unite us. This creed is the oldest, most widely shared creed. It affirms the central truths shared by all of us who come to believe in Jesus. And these truths have the power to center us, to form us, and to unite us. We began, we recited it just a few moments ago. The creed begins with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day, he rose from the dead. Isn't that good news? We'll celebrate that on Easter Sunday morning. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Last week, we talked about, I believe in the Holy Spirit and praying for the Holy Spirit's presence among us and to, to spark a revival and what that means. Then we come to the phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. I believe in this community called the church. But... What do we mean when we say we believe in the church? Are we talking about the building or maybe many buildings that make up churches? Are we saying that the building is the church? And uh, what's this, what's this whole Catholic word? Are we Catholic? What is that all about? And, and saints, communion of saints, I mean, come on. Can anything really be called a saint, anyone be called a saint, or anything be called holy? Well, let's delve into that a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 4, I believe, is the one passage of Scripture that gives us a summary of what the church is about, of what the church is about. I'll preface this by saying, that word Catholic, if you notice, if you read it in our, that, that creed is in our hymnal, and if you read that word Catholic, it's spelled with a lowercase c. And there's also an asterisk beside it. And if you look down at the bottom, it'll tell you that that word Catholic means 
universal. Universal. If it were spelled with a capital C, it would mean the Roman Catholic Church. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying we believe in the universal church, the church universal. Communion of saints. Communion of saints refers more to the local church. We take communion here once a month, first Sunday of every month. Next Sunday happens to be the first Sunday. Invite you to be here for communion next Sunday morning at the same time. But it's the local body, the communion of saints. It also speaks of communion of saints because when we take communion, we speak of joining the company of heaven in their unending hymn. So we're joining not only with Christians all around the world and with one another, but all the company of heaven as well. Communion of saints. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Called by God, the church is. Conduct yourself with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love. And make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you. Again, called by God. God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So, the church is called by God. The church is called by God. You're not here by accident this morning. It's not a coincidence that you are here. You are called by God. And when we say we've been called by God, the church at its heart is ecclesia or church, which means we don't just keep what we do in here to ourselves, but the goal is once we leave this place, we carry that out into the dark, dark world that so desperately needs the light and love of Jesus Christ. The church is those believers called out by God to be participants in the continuing community of faith established by Jesus during his earthly ministry. So we're called by God. Notice that Paul says in that letter to the Ephesian church that we are called to be in unity. This one's a tough one for the church. We were talking earlier this morning that we can't even get along with one another sometimes. It's hard to be unified. But what he's talking about there, he's not talking about being of the same opinion, being in unity. Central truths that unite us, the Apostles' Creed. These are the things that we remain united around. These truths, these other things that we all have opinions, 
we share the truth with one another in love. We can disagree in love with one another and still be united. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Amen? Amen. I'll move on. The church has one hope. The church has one hope. So Paul is telling us the church is called by God. The church is to be in unity. And the church has one hope. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And then we get to the phrase in the creed, I believe in forgiveness of sins. Now this is what sets this community, the church, apart. Forgiveness is one of the central virtues of the Christian faith. John chapter 8 tells a story of Jesus granting forgiveness to this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. According to the law of Moses, she was to be stoned to death. Law very clear on that point. Now we could concentrate on all the points made in this passage of Scripture We could ask all the questions about how this was really supposed to be a trap the Pharisees were attempting to put Jesus in. This woman, Jesus, was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says such women should be stoned to death. What do you say? Interestingly enough, I may be wrong about this, but it's been my experience and what I have observed that adultery usually takes two people. Only the woman was brought. They weren't interested in justice. They they had no interest. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to trap Jesus because if they were interested in justice, they would have brought both of them to Jesus. Man was no, he's not even mentioned. Just says the woman was caught in the act of adultery. They were trying to trump up some charges on him. And they ended up doing that and putting him in a kangaroo court, mock trial. That's coming later on in Lent. Today, first Sunday, during the season of Lent, by the way. But yeah, all kinds of things in this. But what I would like to focus on, and I think the point of this story, is the compassion of forgiveness contained not only in Jesus' conversation with the woman, but also the crowd. Because it's in that conversation that we see the grace that God extends to us all, no matter how bad we've messed up. The compassionate heart of Jesus looked at this woman and what he saw was one who needed redemption, not condemnation. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. Forgiveness is not overlooking sin. Jesus could forgive this woman because he knew he came to pay the penalty of that sin. It was in full view of that and in that context that this woman lay before him. And it was his blood that was about to be shed that opened the heart of God to grant forgiveness to this woman. Forgiveness is not a compromise on God's part. Oh, that's okay. You're forgiven. No. That's not what Jesus says to her. 
It's God's way of dealing with sin. Because Jesus paid the penalty for sin that she and whomever it was that she was committing adultery with deserved, according to the law. Jesus took that penalty and satisfied God's righteousness. Forgiveness is available to all of us still. Remember, sin can only be dealt with in two ways, one of two ways. It can be punished or it can be forgiven. Because Christ took our punishment that we deserve, bearing our sins on the cross, God can forgive us and does. Forgiveness means that Christ has taken our place and extended to us God's grace. And this is not some kind of cheap grace either. Jesus did not simply say to the woman, neither do I condemn you. No, he said that, but then added, go and sin no more. With that statement, Jesus brought forgiveness and laid the blessing at our doorstep. It was his challenge to the woman to live a life above the one she was living. With Jesus' forgiveness came the challenge. You can live a better life. Your sins are forgiven. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You can live a better life now. You can live a life above this. I am freeing you to claim that life. And then we come to the conclusion of the creed, which says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. These words could be described as both the end and the beginning of what is to come. Anyone who's been around a TV or a smartphone or a computer screen within the past day. you got to look at that and wonder, are we ever going to get out of this mess that we are in? The world is in a mess. There are folks who have given up on even watching the news. I know for Lent, there have been some folks that have let me know that they're doing away not only with news but television altogether it's frustrating it's depressing where I used to work I could usually tell when somebody had been watching the news it was in their attitude (laughs) It, it brings people down it ruins you can get up in a great mood have that first cup of coffee oh Thank you, Lord, and pray. Turn on the news, and like that, (laughs) your mood has changed. Crisis, danger, terror, depression, you name it, recession. So many of these words that are used by the people on the news and politicians when describing our current climate today. The world is a mess. There are extremists across the globe lobbing bombs at each other and missiles. And here in our own country, we don't feel so safe and secure either. And financially, I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, this bread, bread, eggs, 
all sorts of things. Very expensive. The gas pump. Gas is extremely high. Housing costs skyrocketing. How are we going to be able to afford to live? Well, that's where we get to our gospel lesson this morning from John 6. Jesus brings us good news by telling us that there is much more to this life than meets the eye. When we see all of this stuff and this depressing stuff going on, Jesus is saying there's much more than meets the eye. There is a hope. There is a future. And when he tells us we need to look in order to find our hope in him and what we must believe in in order to have a future. I mean, having fed the 5,000, walked on water, he begins to speak to the crowd in metaphors like bread of life to declare his identity. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, Jesus said. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then the people do what we people do. They begin to grumble about Jesus because for them, they don't understand that Jesus is more than meets the eye. He's more than just a carpenter's son. He's more than just some guy from Nazareth. But still, with all this negativity in the world, what is there to be optimistic about? I'm not talking about this feel-good, optimistic, all-the-time type of religion. But we need to be optimistic because we have a hope and we have a future. And to that, Jesus poses the question, with all this negativity, how can you be optimistic? Jesus says to us, have you thought about heaven lately? Have you thought about heaven lately? In our gospel lesson, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Jesus calls himself the bread of life because he knows, as I said before, bread is something we must eat. It is something we must consume. It is something that must become a part of who we are living inside us and then causing us to live and to grow. It's not just there to look pretty and smell good. If you've ever driven by a bakery, there's one in Sarasota that I drive by on occasion. It smells good. It smells real good. But its purpose is not just to smell good. It's life-sustaining. And the same goes with Jesus. Yes, there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. And when we allow God, out of God's loving kindness for us, to draw us to Jesus we will find, much to our joy and relief, that there is much more to this life than meets the eye. Jesus is telling us this morning that he is not simply a temporary quick fix. He's not. There are some quick fixes out there. They don't last very long. They're quick, and they're not eternal. If we eat earthly bread, we'll be satisfied for a for a short while, but then soon, very soon, the grumbling in our stomach begins. And if we're not fed more bread, we'll starve. But there's another kind of bread, Jesus says. There's a bread of which we can eat and not die. 
the living bread, the living bread. This bread has come down from heaven in order to be with you and with me. This bread will cause us to live forever. I believe in the life everlasting. If only we will believe. This bread is the flesh of Jesus Christ, sacrificed on the cross, which Jesus has given for the life of the world, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Again, have you thought about heaven lately? Or all your hopes pinned on what the future holds in this world? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh my, oh my, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Have you thought about heaven lately? There's more to all this than meets the eye. Yeah, it looks bad. Yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Looks bad. We have a hope. We have one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's more to this life than meets the eye. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That gives us our hope. That gives us our hope. The footing in this world, you put your hopes in this world, that's slippery, dangerous, very unsecure territory you're going into. The bread that we buy in the grocery store can only go so far. It'll be gone. After eating this bread, we'll be hungry again and again and again long as we're drawing breath here. But thankfully, God has bigger plans for you and for me. And Jesus is the completion of those plans. He is the bread of life. And if we allow God to draw us to him, we'll never go hungry again. And if we believe in him, we will never be thirsty again either. Because in Jesus Christ, there is much, much more to life than meets the eye. Bread spoils. If I leave this out, even in this Ziploc bag, it's going to spoil eventually. Nations are at war. Terrorists prepared to strike. Gas prices going up. Grocery prices going up. Housing costs going up. Income not going up so much. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Don't allow these things to sap the life out of you. Have you thought about heaven lately? In Jesus Christ, there is so much more than meets the eye. There is so much more that meets the eye. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's the much more. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Alleluia. Amen. Let's pray. With the psalmist, out of the depths of the pain and misery of this life, we cry out to you, O Lord. Out of the depths of war, terror, oppression, stock market collapses, rising costs of living, and fear, we cry out to you. We are hungry for more than what this world has to offer us. Lord, hear our voices as we ask you to supply us with Jesus, the living bread. We pray that through your grace, you will continue to draw us to yourself. 
And as you do this, we pray that you will let go of the things which cause us to resist you. Give us that everlasting rest, that everlasting life. We want heaven, Lord. We desire Jesus, the bread of life. We want to come to him and therefore never go hungry. We want to believe and never be thirsty. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. And now receive this benediction. God bless you. Have a great week. Walk with Jesus Christ. And tell somebody about Manatee Life Church. Go in peace. Amen. Okay, that wraps up the series, Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite. And our Lenten journey continues as we continue into Lent. Our Lenten journey will continue with a brand new series starting next week called Famous Last Words. Our dying Savior blessed us with his famous last words from the cross. And in this series, we unpack the depth and practical applications of the final words Jesus uttered before giving his life. Hope you can join us for that. I want to thank you for the gift and privilege of your time today. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening to us today, would you go ahead and click subscribe? And that way you get notified of new episodes when they come out of Soul Ramblings podcast. I'd really appreciate you doing so. You can check us out online, Manatee Life Church. It's manatealife.church. Be sure to go over there and you can watch live stream Sunday mornings at 1030 Eastern Time. And get social with us at Soul Ramblings Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We have links to those pages in the show notes of this episode as well. And before we scoot out the door today, here's a last piece of advice. If you believe in goodness and you value the approval of God, fix your minds on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. I'm Jerry Wicker from Manatee Life Church in Bradenton, Florida. Until next week, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Download new episodes every week. And if you haven't already, Subscribe and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Soul Ramblings is a Tiki Hut Media production.